event organizers. Get ready to level up. To level up. You're listening to the Event Academy Live podcast, where we elevate motivated event organizers. This podcast is brought to you by Fusion. All the event ticketing features and support you need for one low price. Check them out at GetFusionSolutions.com. Now, it's time for your host, Jake Spurley. Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Event Academy Live. I have a super special guest today that comes very near and dear to my heart. Back to my days, running county fairs. It is Tina from the Canadian Association of Fairs and Exhibitions. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am so excited for this one. It's, for those of you that don't know my background, I literally got started in fairs when I was like a little, like 10 year old showing pigs. And, you know, obviously I worked my way through and I started managing fairs and stuff like that. So it's exciting to be able to have a conversation. And I'm just stoked to, to have the conversation around fairs specifically in this episode and talking to the lady that knows the most about all fairs and all things in Canada. Oh, you're giving me a lot of credit there, but thanks. <laughs> I have to. We, we got to build it up. I mean, with with such a such a big title and a big a big brand behind you. I mean, tell us a little bit about what is Cafe like. What does your day to day look like in uh, kind of that bit? Yeah, so Cafe is about supporting the fairs and exhibitions across Canada, as well as the Agricultural Society. So in Canada, we have a bit of a structure where there's a lot of organizations called ag societies that run fairs, exhibitions, events in rural communities. And um, so we're all about supporting them and helping them reach their full potential. So my day-to-day looks um, to creating professional development programs, facilitating networking, running our convention, and all that sort of good stuff. So uh, it keeps us busy helping foster conversations and collaboration and, uh, again, helping everyone be the best they can be. I think something that if you missed it, I wanted to point out here, she said that they don't only support fairs, right? In like just day-to-day stuff, but it's also about pushing the needle, informing them like, hey, there's a new trend going on. Maybe you guys should take a look at this. Not that you guys need to reinvent your fair, but like, hey, we're in a new era. Things are constantly changing. Hey, fairs, like maybe you should take a look at this. Talk to me about, I think we could all sit here and make jokes about fairs are great at, um, I don't want to say doing the same thing every year, but normally we see fairs, uh, they don't innovate as fast as maybe other events do. Can you talk on kind of that bit of fairs need to innovate and, or the lack of innovation that you see? Yeah, sure. Well, and so first of all, I have to say, I love and am fascinated by trends and innovation. It's it's what keeps me going and excited. Um, but yeah, we do see a lot of that in the fair and exhibition industry. We see um, we're rooted in tradition, right? We've been around some of them. There's a, there's the oldest fair in North America is 254 years old, I believe. Um, and so you want to preserve that tradition and that heritage and that culture. That's such a big part of it. Um, so it really ends up becoming a balancing act of how do you preserve that, but keep new crowds coming in and keep um, keep it interesting, keep it innovative and exciting. Because uh, as we know, our demographics have changed, right? Not everyone wants to go see uh, the, the cow show necessarily as much. And the urbanites aren't looking for that. They want to learn about food and agriculture and that sort of stuff. But so how do you balance that? And I think um, traditionally fairs and exhibitions tend to lean towards 
being traditional and preserving that history rather than looking to innovation. And I think part of that too, is there's a lot of risk in innovation, right? You could fall flat on your face, you could lose a lot of money. So how do you make sure you're taking reasonable risks so that you don't end up shutting down or destroying your organization? Um, so that balancing act is, is really tricky for folks. I think the other thing, it's interesting you say that because it is a balancing act. It's like, okay, when you bring, when you introduce something, usually something has to go away just because you're running events, like you can't do it all. And I think one of the cool things that at least I've seen, maybe you can talk to it, is the folks that kind of like throw everything on a board. They're like, all right, our fair contains like all of these different things. Of these things, like what do our attendees appreciate the most? Like ask them take a survey like hey what did you like about our fair here's the five things you can pick from pick like your top whatever and it's like okay nobody actually cared about the strolling acts like literally nobody cared about the strolling acts those are gone what else can we introduce and i think it's that like innovation doesn't have to be monumental mm -hmm. innovation just has to be a small thing one thing like for when i was running fairs I introduced a demolition derby on a Sunday. I don't even know why our fair was open on Sunday, but it was like the, th we literally called it the throwaway day. Throwaway is half price throwaway day. We start picking up at noon. Like then why are we even having a fair? But we introduced a demolition derby and we sold, I think, I think we tripled our attendance for Sunday just by bringing that one thing. Obviously you don't have to introduce a demolition derby. That's kind of a big thing to introduce, but like, it doesn't have to be big, a kid's zone, like just little, small incremental changes go a long, long way. I think it's that constant innovation that attendees are kind of craving now, you know, as much as we all love the tradition of fairs and the foods and the animals, and maybe your fair has a rodeo or a carnival, like your core principles, obviously they stay there. Like your carnival's always gonna be there. Your rodeo, if, it's, if you've had a rodeo, like it's gonna stay there. But it's just those little tiny things that attendees notice that are like, oh, that's different. That's cool. And they're constantly like, what's new this year? What's new this year? Um, and it's super interesting just, just to see, see how kind of the new fairs are innovating. There's a fair in Oregon that I've saw that they've taken about taken out literally everything agricultural related from their fair. And it is just basically a big carnival party. And they have like carnivals. You have like all your vendors, exhibitors. I think they still have a, like few animals there, not the whole, you know, not the whole barn, but they have a few animals there and they're focusing more on like a uh, younger generation fair of having like big name concerts, big name carnival, a couple animals and acts all day long. It's super interesting. I guess I'm, I love innovation. I love, I literally geek out on innovation in this stuff. What's a cool thing that I guess you've seen from a fair do right and kind of innovating the right way? Innovating the right way. I would say um, what we're seeing a lot of lately is focusing on uh, immersive experiences, right? So you, yeah. and it's the same with the museums, right? You don't want to go to a museum and just look at the exhibits anymore. You want to um, interact with them or something like that. And so, um, Creating those immersive experiences is really, really what uh, what people need to do and I, what I love to see. And so a good example is a Pacific National Exhibition. They're really good at um, even working with their partners to create really, truly immersive experiences. So they had a video game exhibit where you could go try old video games and new games and, you know, 
all that sort of stuff. Uh, they worked with CN Rail. CN Rail was doing an anniversary celebration and you could do, I, I distinctly remember, like you could build your own little Lego CN Rail displays, but um, just letting people touch, feel, try that sort of stuff. Um, is what really makes the difference uh, in terms of innovation, I think. It's not about looking at things, it's about ex really experiencing them right now. And so I see PME doing a lot of that. A lot of the majors actually are doing that. And uh, I think a lot of the smaller guys are gonna start to follow with it too once they start to get get on board, right? Right, it's all about getting on board. And I think that's, that's really the goal of this podcast is what are like the one to two things a modern event organizer can listen to the show and take away and actually put into action? Like how can we level up modern event organizer? Like that's literally the whole purpose of the show. So I guess for a scared or a hesitant modern event organizer, fair manager, whatever, what do you think would be the best way for them to approach innovation or like approach that like first step in change yeah i think you touched on it before already is survey your people right get some data and collect it we know i can tell you the heavy horse show at my local fair is what everyone wants to go see the horses are fascinating um but you know the poultry show that might not do as well uh we know that anecdotally but let's find that out um from like a quick survey to validate our findings and then see what we can do and see what they want to do. Maybe they're all coming for the, I mean, for us, <laughs> they're coming for the derby, right? Like, right. or the truck pull or things like that. But let's get that figured out and figure out how we can change it. Maybe the attendance is down on the derby because it's on Saturday night. And if it was Sunday afternoon, you're going to get more people. So data is probably one of the biggest things that you could start to collect to give you informed decisions. I'm a big fan of that. And then the other thing I would say, and you touched it on it too, is incremental change. You don't have to change your entire event um, in one year, and that's dangerous. But also give it a fair chance. Don't just do something for a year. If it flops, walk away from it. Give it two to three years because it needs to grow and build, and you got to give it its best shot. And set, um, <laughs> I'm getting highly technical here. <laughs> <laughs> set the fancy way of saying it is set key performance indicators, right? So what are the goals? What are the definitions of success? And I use this example a lot because, um, especially through COVID, people tried different things, which was great. But say they had a a, a drive-through light show of some sort. Um, if your board said it was a success, one board may member may have a different definition than another. One thinks a thousand cars, that's successful. Another is like, oh, no, we should have hit 2,500 cars. So just create those goals and those metrics of like, this is what, this is what success looks like. And that gives you a solid foundation, I think, of, um, of whether the risk is worth it or not, right? 100%. There's like three gold nuggets here and then we're going to go on like a on like a tangent to the left. <laughs> so KPIs, like if you've never heard of key performance indicators, you're going to get a lesson. This is like all they drilled in my head in business school. I swear it was focus on your numbers. But and you're so right. Success is different for every single person, organization, like even sponsors and exhibitors, their success, what you think makes a successful sponsorship may be wildly different from what your sponsors view that sponsorship being successful or not. And it's like, if you're on a board or your stakeholders or fellow event organizers, whatever that looks like, sit down and say, all right, guys, how are we going to measure this? Like, what does success look like for us specifically? Like, 
take everybody else out of it. Take all the other events, everything else you've heard, because your event is unique to yourself and your own, um, not roles, but your own goals, if you will. And just write that down. Like, is it the number of people you get through the gate? Is it the number of tickets sold? Is it the number, you know, is it the profit at the end of the year? Is it a revenue deal? Like, what is it? And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, obviously you need to be profitable. This is a business, you gotta keep going. But write down, what does that actually look like? Write it on a board, hold everybody accountable. And like, that's now your North Star. You know, mm -hmm. that everything you do should be supporting that goal of that KPI. Um, I don't know many fairs at all that are actually doing this. So this is, I'm geeking out on that, which I think is- Well, it sounds scary, right? To say KPIs. So yeah. set goals, set smart goals, right? Smart it goals. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't have to be scary. Just yeah. set it, like yeah. be, be logical and reasonable about it, set that goal. And like everything you do should then support your actions towards attaining that goal. It also becomes a stupid idea killer, right? If someone comes up with a wackadoodle idea that's going to destroy, you know, whatever it may be. Well, how does that align? How does that help us reach our goal? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Where does this fit on the roadmap? Because I don't see it fitting anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> the other thing um, you were saying, I'm just forgot it. You said uh, oh, incremental change. Incremental change. Yeah. Brain fart. This never happens to me. <laughs> Let's see. Your North Star. KPIs, you talked about data, data. Oh, here's where we're going. We're going hard on the data concept. <laughs> this drives me absolutely nuts. If you're not collecting data, you're you're on my I want to talk to you list. Um, it is literally the easiest thing in the world to collect. And we don't do it. And we, or if we do do it, we don't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. What I see coming from like a ticketing provider side. It's like, cool, you ask these questions. Where are you from? What do you do? Like, why did you like this? Great, and you do absolutely nothing with it. It sits there, nobody looks at it. It's like, yeah, we collected that. Don't know where it is, don't know what they said. Mm -hmm. I think there's two sides of this. I think there's the data we collect during ticket purchase. And then I think there's also data we collect post event. One of the we're gonna talk about both. We're gonna go. This, this is probably gonna be like the last big nugget of this topic, so we can keep it keep it to 20, 30 minutes here. But beforehand, you're getting a lot of marketing marketing value out of that. Like, what's your phone number? What's your email? Like, where geographically? Where are you coming from? Where did you hear about us? That sort of thing. Because all that data, you can now use to help market more efficiently going forward. And that's one of the big things that I try and help event organizers with is like. You don't have to constantly be throwing money at Facebook or Instagram or like whatever marketing channels you're using. You need to, and that's one of the greatest things about a ticketing system. You need to build up your customer base and then harvest it. It's like attract them and then retain them, right? Like build up your, build up your email list, build up your phone number list, and then be smart. Don't spam them like a crazy X. And then, but like, you know, use that, use that data to sell tickets going forward. Maybe you give them like a special promo offer next year. Like, hey, thanks for being a little customer. Like we have these early bird tickets available exclusively for you guys, you know, give them a deal or something. You don't have to constantly be blowing your money on marketing. You just have to be smarter by using the data that you already have. What do you, what do you see account on that topic? Yeah, you know, it's as you're talking about that, definitely the marketing component. What I also see with that data that you collect is 
it helps you with your sponsors. You can tell them that 80% of our people come from out of the community. Um, so you are attracting a new audience or things like that. So there's a lot of strength in that information, even if it's just, well, in Canada, a postal code or a zip code, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff, it seems seems useless, but it does have purpose. But think about how you can use it. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, take the time to target your marketing, like you say, and be more efficient. That's one of the beauties of online marketing, I think, too, is, you know, you put an ad in the newspaper and you don't know who's who you're getting and who you're targeting, <laughs> if it's effective. And that's probably a whole other podcast right there, right? But online, you can really specify and make it more efficient. It's... So I'll, I'm going to go on a quick tangent with this data. So back when I, and on, on, the, on the topic of marketing, because fairs have too much going on. Mm -hmm. Marketing, I see it goes on the back burner a lot because you can't, you can't be great at everything. And marketing is like its own beast. Like a company or a person should literally just do that. And usually these fairs don't have the resources to allocate to that. So I totally understand why it gets put on the back burner because I have lived in those shoes. But for me, if you're, you know, whoever's listening, here's going to be the greatest marketing hack I can ever give a fair. When I ran a fair, I increased the attendance by 38% and I spent less money on marketing than we'd ever spent in the entirety of like the hundred something years the fair had been going. So we spent less money, attracted more people. And literally the only thing I did, this is literally the simplest marketing thing you could possibly do. Create the Facebook event for your fair, run awareness Facebook ads towards your event to just try and get as many people to say they're quote interested, which people say they're interested just by clicking on it. Once you have all those people interested, 30 days out from your event, run another ad set to everybody that said they were interested in your event. So you're throwing out a big net to anybody and everybody to pull them in to just look at your event. Once they've looked at your event, now once the event gets a little closer, it's a little more top of mind. They're like, okay, fine, I should probably buy a ticket. Then you send a barrage of ads towards them and harvest them into your event. It's like now you're converting. That mm -hmm. is literally the easiest thing. I could probably train a monkey to do it on how to do it. Actually, we have a we have a video on YouTube that literally shows you exactly how to do it. But and you don't have to spend thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars doing these things. People think, oh, to do Facebook ads, it's super hard. You got to spend so much money. It's literally not. I think I did that. I think I increased attendance by only spending like $500 on Facebook ads. That's peanuts. Yeah. That's like, I don't know, what, 50, 50 general admission tickets? Like, come on. This is insane. Right. The, I think it's funny. We, so all of our clients, we give them a marketing, like a marketing guide. Like, hey, if we were marketing your event, this is exactly what we would do. And the other grassroots campaigns, of like postering and flying. We have a customer in Alberta. He does like literally no marketing besides postering and flying the entire city. And he sells out every single one of his shows. I'm like, this is epic. So yeah. don't think that I'm trying, like we're trying to say, no, not at all. Flyers don't work. We're just saying, hey, there's a new component that's very advantageous. Maybe let's take a look at that, you know, see how we can leverage, leverage that new marketing strategy this we could probably actually do like a whole another 60 minute episode which we might need to I, i'm feeling like we need to do like just a completely separate episode just on fair marketing because i really right. think i really truly believe fairs would find a lot of value out of that because mm -hmm. it's something that's not really talked about oh for sure going on the second half of the data so i don't go on a complete 60 minute spiel on marketing fairs the post event data talk to me about where you think events are falling short in post event data and surveys 
uh well they're not doing it <laughs> <laughs> step one they're not even doing right? it so <laughs> end <something>. of point <laughs> uh, you know what i'd say get them while they're hot is one of the big the biggest things you can do so while they're leaving your grounds or um shortly after they've left your grounds and i know that's not perfect so i'm not saying if you can't do that that's fine. If you send out a survey a week later to people who attended or whatever it is, go for that. But the data that you can collect is like is really good about their experience and what they would have improved with the nitty gritty. You know, honestly, I'm all about that um, user experience from beginning to end. So if they were really annoyed with the parking lot and having to wait for 30 minutes before they could get a parking spot. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, that's something that can easily be fixed. And that's something you may not know about or not understand how much of a grievance it was, unless you have these surveys to ask them about their experience. And you got to imagine, like, you have two kids in the back excited to go to the fair and you have to unload your stroller and everyone's hot and sweaty and all that sort of stuff. And you're stuck in your car watching the Ferris wheel from a distance, right? Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. That's going to put you in a bad mood to begin with. And that sets a tone for the rest of the experience. So measure the entire experience from beginning to end after they've had it, right? Because they are going to have those, um, th that reasonable feedback, I think that's going to help you, um, make sure they have a positive experience overall, because if I, once I'm on the fairgrounds and I'm grumpy and then I have to wait in line for tickets and the cotton candy is sold out or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like all of these are little X's against you that you, uh, uh, you really need to, you can easily fix, I would say. Right. One thing, one thing you said here that I really want people to make sure is the consumer experience starts the second they cross that line of the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Like actually, Arguably the consumer experience starts like way before on your website, on your social channels, on your ticketing platform. That's really where it starts. If your ticketing platform sucks and it's hard to buy a ticket, like people are already going to have a preconceived notion of Ugh, clunky, this sucks. Mm -hmm. We can't just think about the consumer experience of like when they're actually in the grounds. Like we were, I was just at a rodeo and like the parking, the line to get into the parking lot was, I'm not kidding you at least a mile long like literally in canada i don't know how many kilometers that is but it was it was it was a long time like it took 45 minutes just to go park your car and a guy wanted to back his car in and the parking attendant was like we don't have time to back our cars in like you know you just need to pull and we gotta go there's a lineup he got out of his car he said i paid for parking i'm gonna park my car however i want to park my car and i'm like reasonable like yeah. that's kind of fair like you you already created a poor user experience like don't make it even worse mm -hmm. all the way to your ticket takers like your ticket takers aren't nice and friendly like normally the parking people and ticket takers are the first line that first experience of our fairs i know a lot of them are usually like volunteers or whatever and sometimes it's hard to you know train volunteers to be perfect but it's like if their consumer experience starts off poorly with somebody being grumpy like give me your ticket or ten dollar like you know what i mean right. they already have that preconceived notion like as you said of like all right well strike number one i haven't even got through the gate this is cool mm -hmm. all the way to like how clean is your event is your security staff being nice like everybody can be super nice and super kind regardless of the situation like you can throw somebody out of a beer garden and still be super kind about it you know so thank you for the experience after <laughs> right yeah no exactly so yeah. that's a big thing that i wanted to i want to touch on was that and then on the survey side just to, if you've never, if you don't know how to conduct a survey or how to go about that, I want to give, I want to give listeners just like the, here's exactly how you can do it. And here's exactly how you can implement a post-event survey. 
Google Forms is literally the most epic free option that Google has ever created besides all their other free products. <laughs> Just create a free Google Form and take a export a list. If you're using a ticketing system, export a list of every customer that you have with your email addresses, send a mass email literally no less than 24 hours after the end of your event and just send a link like mm -hmm. and make the make the uh make the subject like looking for your experience from xyz events right and then just copy and paste that link i promise you you're probably going to get hundreds of responses make it short you can't make your survey a billion questions long if i see a survey that's like over 10 questions i'm like nope i'm out not happening so think about like you have to figure out great questions to ask don't ask you know I don't know. Did you find a parking spot? Like, obviously, they found a parking spot. They parked there and they went to your event. Like, mm -hmm. find highly targeted and great, great questions. Ask that are actually going to move the needle, mm -hmm. right? And then once that's in, just come in and like collect the data, see what people said. Open-ended questions are a great thing. Sometimes by asking closed-ended questions, like by giving them a list of, hey, these are your options, you might not get as great of responses as if you just left it open-ended. Mm -hmm. As in, you know, what was your favorite thing about the fair don't give them a list just let let them tell you don't 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 prohibit right. their creativity if you wish people are going to say mean things like it is what it is everybody has an opinion you know it's that's that's how the dice roll but that's the only way that you're truly going to understand hey what do we need to do i think one of the best thing i think one of the two best questions i asked was what was your absolute favorite thing about the fair and if there was if you could wave a magic wand what would one what, what would that one thing be that you would want to see differently done at our fair? And the responses you get are so diverse, but they open up your mind to whole new like creative possibilities of, oh my gosh, I never even thought that a consumer would want that. That's crazy. But yeah. Well, which to circle back, that might be your innovation. That might end up leading to be your new innovations that you bring in. So that's exactly. why you should collect these surveys and information, right? Um, well, and along the, the that survey collection component too, what I like to do when I develop surveys, and you're right, keep them short, keep them simple, um, but think about the outcomes. What do you want to learn from this? And then build questions around that rather than, did you find parking? Well, what are you going to do with that information? Think about what you're going to do with the information before you put the survey together. Otherwise, your survey is going to be useless for you. Yeah, yeah. Wrapping up here, I know we're, we're we're running a little long. I'm just geeking out because I love talking about fairs. It's like in my blood. It's what I come from. We're all about leveling up that event organizer, specifically to county fairs. If there was one thing that you see great county fairs doing over county fairs that might be struggling, what is that one thing? Um, oh, it's a hard question. It's yeah. a hard question. Uh, and you know, it, 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 <laughs> I think it comes back to what we've been talking about. They're trying new things and they're taking risks. Um, and, and to get a bit more specific, to make it a bit more useful, I guess, is um, they're listening to younger people, right? And what younger people have to say, which could be a, yes. a whole other podcast, right? But listen yes. to them, give them a chance to try their ideas out and see what happens there. Gosh, I love it. If you if you haven't got any knowledge from this, I don't know where you've been the past half hour because this has been an epic episode of the Event Academy Live podcast. I absolutely cannot thank you enough for joining me and all the listeners on this episode. 
I promise there will be another time that we do a podcast here. It might be on marketing, it might be on consumer data, it might be on innovation. Who knows? I promise you there's probably going to be another episode. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Until next time, thank you again for listening to this episode of Event Academy Live. Thank you for listening to the Event Academy Live podcast. This show is powered by Fusion. Event solutions for the modern event organizer. Don't forget to like, rate, and review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Until next week, keep leveling up, fellow event organizers.